excited to bring you the latest episode of the Warrior Legacy Podcast. Uh, Going to be getting really personal today and shaking things up a bit. Um, the uh, the previous two episodes provided the wave tops or some key experiences of mine during my active duty tenure as a Marine grunt. So if you haven't heard those, go back and give them a listen so you can have some context into how I got to this point in my life, which is what we're talking about today. Now, I've established one of the goals of this podcast as explaining infantry culture so that it can be learned from and added to everyone's life for a substantial benefit. And I've kind of alluded to it, but I really haven't done that part of it justice. So I'm going to take the same approach as a mentor of mine and add some depth to that part of the discussion. Now, for those of you that are up to speed, and you know, even if this is your first episode, we're going to pick up my story as I'm processing out of the Marine Corps in 2016. Um, just to provide some context for everyone without getting too political, uh, from around 2010 up until 2016, there was a prominent shift in mentality from the political class towards the armed forces. And it started with the repeal of don't ask, don't tell. Um, and then avalanched down to like hazing reform, sexual assault prevention, and ended with the opening of all occupational specialties to women. Now we can, and we will address these issues in depth at a later time. What I want to focus on now is the fact that my decision to exit the service after nearly a decade wasn't driven by an entirely emotional response to any one issue. I was furious about the way these changes were implemented, but what it really boiled down to was three things. The first was when I looked at all of them together, the message that I pulled away from it and exactly what I think our politicians were trying to send was that they wanted to change larger society and they were going to use us as the vehicle. And they chose to target the culture that we had built over the last decade and a half of combat, the culture that we had literally fought and killed for, that many of our friends died for. Not any one change would have been tolerable, but when they were all implemented against the advice of the commandant in rapid succession, that told me that it was a cultural attack. And the wave of changes conveniently crested in an election year, which meant they were using us as pawns to secure votes. That's what wartime sacrifices mean to a politician. And I hope we remember that fact as a country moving forward. Now, the second aspect of it was the fact that the war on terror was largely over for the infantry. It had been for a few years by 2016. Now, that shouldn't take away from the service members that were killed during that time. But it should be noted that grunt units that deployed to combat zones were primarily in security roles instead of offensive action roles. Um, the, uh, the special warfare community was shouldering the full burden of offensive action and still is. Um, so I considered that. And then I thought about my family, which is the third and really the most important part of this equation. At the time we were about to welcome our second son, Odin into the world. And I asked myself, do you really want to stay in and watch everything that we've fought for be dismantled? 
while you miss your kids grow up because you're on a non-combat deployment somewhere? Absolutely not. Um, I wasn't ready to leave the infantry, but I was not about to be a part of pushing these reforms that I believed and still do believe will result in the unnecessary death of American fighting men in the next war. And I get into a lot more detail and describe those emotions and, um, you know, the, the exact moment when I made that decision in my upcoming book. But I had to deny orders to be a combat instructor at the School of Infantry, and that essentially killed my career. So that brings us to one of the most polarizing issues about the armed services, in my opinion, and that being transition, quote-unquote, which is a term used to describe the process of adjusting to civilian life. Now, I want you to think about the most negative human emotions that you possibly can. Loathing, disgust, hatred. That's how I feel about the term transition, and I'll tell you why. You know, first off, the existence of the term itself reinforces the fact that there is a cultural divide between America and her service members, which oftentimes <laughs> hilariously triggers people that believe the contrary. Secondly, the implication is that we need to change in order to accommodate everything and everyone else so we can become another cog in the larger machine after we get out. You don't believe me? Well, the evidence lies in the fact that the most ridiculous part of the process we have to go through before we can actually separate is a week-long seminar called the Transition Readiness Seminar, or TRS. That may be called something different now, but it's the same bullshit. But during this five-day span, we sit in a classroom and civilians are brought in to teach us how to speak like a civilian, build resumes and, you know, tell us over and over again that the VA is our best friend. And at the time, I didn't understand what was going on. But looking back on it, I get it now. And there was, there was such an obvious difference in the room. You know, I looked around the, the 20 or 30 tables that were filled with Marines and sailors from, from other jobs and noticed how you know, bright and enthusiastic they were, just chugging that Kool-Aid. And the handful of grunts like me at our, you know, lone little table all looked like they'd rather deep throat a chainsaw than be there. Uh, the whole thing was a feeble attempt to try and remove, or at least soften, the lethality and the warrior spirit that we had honed for those years of our lives. It'd be like, like taking a championship bodybuilder who decides to retire and injecting him with estrogen before he leaves the competition podium for the last time. And as I look back on it and, you know, it, as I grow farther removed from it, I understand that this is the first time that I was deliberately exposed to the mentality of service member victimhood. Uh, you know, they harked on the VA. It was constant. They wanted to plant the seed of dependency in our mind. Now, I will say this about the civilian instructors. Yeah, I have no doubt that they were all there because they really did believe in helping set us up for success. But the material that was required by the DOD was nothing more than a crash course in 
how to spend the rest of your life working to death while you ingest VA medications at the cyclic rate to accelerate the process. Wonderful use of taxpayers' dollars, right? Now, before we move on, it would just be wrong if I didn't clarify my position a little bit. In no way do I think that the average American wants veterans to be the docile, pitiful, dependent creatures that our government wants. And I do believe that preparing exiting service members for civilian life shouldn't just be a goal, but it should be viewed as a responsibility. And I think most people agree with that. And the TRS initiative was the product of that social consciousness, which is admirable. I just think that Washington took it and fucked it all up, or at least select personnel within the government did. So enough of my political rambling, okay? I think I've given enough of our valuable time to that. If you're thinking to yourself, Stu, you said you were going to talk about your transition. Come on, man. And I need you to stay with me for a bit because it all ties in. I promise. But here it is. I drank. That was my transition. I drank. Why? Well, let's start by eliminating the common myths that surround such an experience. Okay. Uh, this can't be said for everyone, but is definitely true for me. And I hit on it in the last episode. Um, I didn't binge drink because I had PTSD. The Marine Corps, the war in Afghanistan, or toxic masculinity didn't force alcohol down my throat. All of those excuses are bullshit. For me. Okay? I felt sorry for myself. I accepted the victimhood of all those outside influences. It was so easy. I didn't even realize that I was doing it. But it wasn't because the core had failed me, quote unquote. It was because I didn't have purpose anymore. Or better yet, I had purpose in my family staring me right in the fucking face. But it became easy as I grew more bitter about how I had left the infantry to just numb it all. And it compounded every negative aspect of my life. I stopped working out. I ate whatever looked good. I spent my time on TV instead of of the adventure that my family craved that I should have been delivering to them. And I was miserable. I was angry and bitter. I had all this pent-up emotion with nowhere to go with it. But it was at this stage of my life where my wife, noticing this, even before me, just casually suggested that I start writing. And again, I had no idea at the time that what I put to paper would turn into the book that I'm about to publish. But I think she did. And what happened was slowly, that poison started to seep out. You know, about two years into it, I had decided to, to publish uh, what I was writing, and I, I knew that I had to stop drinking. I couldn't do both. Um, money was tight. I hated my job. And, and I looked back 
at the man I was in the infantry compared to who I became. And I knew that I couldn't go on like that. So I ditched the corporate gig, which was a good job. And I went back to Afghanistan as a civilian contractor for a year. You know, I stayed sober while I was deployed and shed the 30 pounds I had put on because of the drink. But my actual purpose still eluded me. Now, I was searching for it half a world away as I finished my book, but I just, I couldn't seem to get a clear picture of what it was. And I missed my family. You know, I got tired of watching my kids grow up through a screen, so I decided to come home. And I quit drinking altogether, you know, but, but I stopped working out. I got complacent and I got comfortable, which led me down into a deep, resentful, angry depression, which I directed at my wife. And I couldn't figure out why initially, because I, I wasn't ready to admit it. I had to get to the point to where I would stay up at night melting my brain in front of the TV or on my phone because I just didn't want to admit that I had to change again. Now, I'm as superstitious as any grunt, but when it comes to the universe or a higher power sending me messages, I typically don't pay much attention to that. But one day, during a typical 65-hour work week at another job that I also hated, I was able to pick up my kids from school. And as we walked in the door, I noticed them flock straight to their iPads. And it just, it just irked me. And it rubbed me some kind of wrong way. And I asked myself, shouldn't we be outside right now? Like playing football or wrestling or here's a novel idea, working out, doing something with some actual meaning to it. I had to come to terms with the fact that my bitterness, my anger, my lack of emotional control had set such a toxic example for my family that it had partially stifled my son's natural competitive desires. And that was it. I would not have it one fucking moment longer. I was miserable at my job. I was taking it out on my family and I was smothering my own creativity and masculinity. And I was dead sober. Alcohol had just been a mechanism. I, I needed deep, life-altering changes. So I said no more. I had reached my fork in the road moment and I was ready to go all in and face the lesser version of myself that I had created. So I made one of the most important phone calls of my life to a former Marine Raider named Nick Kumulatsos. And he told me in the interview that if you just want to look good naked, then this isn't going to work. The program is called the Agogi, and he offered me the opportunity to join, not just to get into shape, but to help me discover what my clear purpose in life is. And so I committed no half measures, and I went in, into it with the mentality that any changes I was going to make would be permanent. I was going to change my lifestyle. 
not just do a diet and slip back into old habits. I was reinventing myself as a man. And I still am. And inside of a month, I noticed the evidence of the infantry culture that I loved so much just adapted to my current environment. My daily life had changed so dramatically that I could hardly believe it. I worked out six days a week. I finished my book. I shed the 20 pounds that I had put back on from my backslide. And I waged a fucking war on outside influences for myself and our sons. And it hit me like a kick in the nuts that the current model of transition or reintegration that was and is presented to grunts is a lie. You know what really gets to me is that when we discuss veteran suicide, you know what's never considered by mainstream media or a politician? The possibility that this expectation of overriding the warrior that is presented to service members may be a contributing factor to the unnecessarily high suicide rate. I never needed to change the man that I became beneath the combat load. What I needed to do was revel in that development and adapt the infantry values to move forward and then keep developing. Discipline, toughness, selflessness, lethality, proficiency, and example. And this tribe of people in the Agogi showed me, through their examples, what that looked like. I was connected to like-minded individuals that, that build each other up and hold each other accountable without ego or arrogance. And that has led me to this point, to the establishment of my own core values and my mission in life and the vision of the man that I want to be. And I'm not finished. I never will be. <laughs> I am forever a work in progress. And that feels fucking phenomenal. It's hard. And it sucks waking up early to haze myself before the sunrise every day. But I cannot deny the monumental impact that it's had on every aspect of my life as a husband, as a father, as a coach, and as a man. Every one of us has to go through the journey of finding our own purpose. And that is, that is the approach that I think should be taken when we prepare our service members to move on into the next phase. Because the fact is, just like me, if you don't establish your core values and your mission, and your purpose in life, then outside influences will do it for you when you turn to them to fill the void. So here it is. My mission is to prepare the youth and the young men in my community by challenging them and teaching them through example the tools they need to lead disciplined, successful and fulfilling lives. The vision of the man that I must strive to become is a man that exists permanently inside the arena of fierce competition. His actions demonstrate the immeasurable value of lethal capability, driven by a relentless pursuit of knowledge and ability that manifests itself in the most vulnerable, passionate, 
and intense leadership possible. Core values. Discipline. The consistent prioritization and execution of critical tasks that will yield desired results. Sacrifice over quick gratification. Identifying non-negotiable tasks and sacrificing anything that could interfere. Then determination. There's no guarantee that I will succeed, but failure is inevitable if I backslide or do nothing. Hardship, struggle, and temporary defeat are certain. So be prepared. Next is relentlessness. The passionate and intense pursuit of greatness that drives us to seek hardship, development, and success. It is committed action that does not sleep or rest. Belief. Without this, we are doomed to a life of normalcy and disappointment. Belief is what propels men to aim higher and higher and every now and then accomplish the impossible. And finally, self-control. Self-control is the most challenging virtue to attain, in my opinion. Something that I will grapple with for the rest of my life. Um, I'm an avid reader, particularly of you know ancient military history, and, and I was preparing for this episode, and I came across a quote during my nightly read from uh, The Virtues of War by Stephen Pressfield, which is a novel um, about uh, Alexander the Great. Phenomenal read. Um, you know, the story goes that Alexander's mentor, a man named Telamon, is educating the future king on what it means to be a warrior. And Alexander asks him if self-command had a place in the warrior's kit. And Telamon says, Indeed, he replied, for the self-control of the warrior, which we observe and admire in his comportment, is but the outward manifestation of the inner perfection of the man. Such virtues as patience, courage, selflessness, which the soldier seems to have acquired for the purpose of defeating the foe, are in truth for use against enemies within himself, the internal antagonists of inattention, greed, sloth, self-conceit, and so on. When each of us recognizes, as we must, that we too are engaged in this struggle, we find ourselves drawn to the warrior as the acolyte to the seer. The true man-at-arms, in fact, can overcome his enemy without even striking a blow, simply by the example of his virtue. In fact, he can not only defeat this foe, but also make him his willing friend and ally, and even, if he wishes, his slave. That is the best definition of self-control that I have ever found. As we close this one out, everybody, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I know from the experiences that I recounted today that 
if you take this roadmap that was shown to me and apply it to your life, you can pull yourself from the depths of whatever you're dealing with and move on to something better. Now, next week is going to be a special episode. And I know I say that every time, but this one in particular really is going to be something I've never done before in my life. And quite frankly, scared the shit out of me when I first decided to do it. Um, I promise you, you won't want to miss it because we're going to talk about what I think is one of the most undervalued and critical pieces of the warrior lifestyle. And I'm going to lay my experience bare for you guys again. And it's not just for veterans and not just for men. Next week episode is for everyone. So tell your friends, tell your family, leave a review in the podcast comments below and, you know, tell me if you like it or if you think I'm a moron and why. Um, Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have a badass week and get savage and stay savage.